Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to the book of 2 Kings, chapter 4, as we're learning from the life of the prophet Elisha, a man of God, being used of God to bring great joy through these glorious miracles in people's lives. The pattern of God to use people to to reach people. And Elisha's been given a double portion of his mentor, Elijah's ministry. And he's very different than Elijah. As you study his life, Elisha is different than Elijah. And we looked at the life of Elijah in previous chapters through 1 Kings. There's no one model for the man or the woman that God uses in ministry. He uses people from all walks of life. He uses people from all backgrounds. He uses people with all types of personalities because there's such a variety of people on the earth to be reached. And there's no one model. God has made you and created you and changed you so that he might use you. And you don't have to be discouraged that that you don't have someone else's gifting or you don't have someone else's ability or you don't have someone else's upbringing or any of the things that might cause us to be jealous or concerned about our lot in life. You know, when you look at Elijah, Elijah was more of a rough type of man. He was described, you recall, as hairy with a leather belt, you know, sort of like the mountain man type of guy where Elisha is much more personable, and we learn that through his ministry. He's relatable to the people that God has called him to serve. He was more of a guy that would develop relationships in people's lives, and yet God used them both. And it led me to be reminded of how I appreciate the diversity of the men and women that God has chosen to use, and especially within the context of our own ministry here at Calvary, which is where I spend most of my time. Just, just looking at the diversity of the personalities and the backgrounds and the spiritual giftings that God has used and raised up in the ministry here at Calvary, it's, it's not a one-size-fits-all There's not a one type of program that's going to prepare us all to do the work of the ministry, but God tailors his message and his discipleship, and he shapes it in such a way to disciple you, to use you, and to conform you for what he has for you, and collectively, we all get to enjoy the fruit of of the lives that God has chosen to use. And this should encourage us because for those that want to write yourself off and those that want to minimize your giftings and those that just don't seem to be so talented or you don't see yourself as so intellectual or you don't think you have anything to offer God, be of good cheer. God wants to use you as you are. He wants to use what you bring. And it's not just what other people, you don't have to measure up to some outward standard. You don't have to measure up to some, some area of outward qualifications of ministry. See, the qualifications of ministry are inward, not outward. And if God has the inward man, the inward woman, then it's gonna manifest itself outwardly so that we can look backwards and say, through the behavior demonstrated outwardly, we can get a good sense of who you are inwardly. Or, as Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
So we can tell by what your language is and how you speak and how you, how you act. There's a good indication of your personal walk with the Lord. The qualifications God has for ministry are character traits, which is why character flaws on the inward man will eventually destroy him and destroy her if not surrendered and, you know, repented and surrendered to the Lord. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, and this is from the New Living Translation, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up only one body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free, but we've all been baptized into Christ's body by one spirit, and we've all received the same spirit, verse 14. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that doesn't make it any less part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm only an ear and not an eye, would that make any less a part of the body? Suppose the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? And if the whole body were just one big ear, how could you smell anything? But God made our bodies with many parts, and he's put each part just where he wants it. And I love this, verse 19. What a strange thing a body would be if it had only one part. And the picture would be this. What a strange thing the church of Jesus Christ would be if it only came in one size and one type. Sometimes people think, you know, maybe if I study really hard and go to seminary, and take care of these things, maybe God, then God would use you. Well, if you study really hard and go to seminary, maybe God will use you, maybe he won't. Well, if you don't go to seminary, you don't go to some formal training, you're not able to. It's very much how I entered into the body of Christ. The way that my life was before I got saved, I was young and already raising a family. And, and the, the type of online school and the things that we have available today weren't available back then. And so going to school and studying in that way, in that formal way, just wasn't an option. It was laid before me, I either raise my family and be faithful there, or neglect my family and go to school. And so I couldn't, I I had to focus on the family that God had given me. And and I wasn't able to study, and and I wasn't able to go to formal training. And yet, God in his graciousness, and, and and him coming down to see something in me to develop, he decided to use me. Uh, not one size fits all. It's the anointing of God and his equipping that really matters. The kind, of God, the kind of person that God uses is one that's ready and open and surrendered. You can read it later, but in Acts chapter 6, when they were looking for godly men to serve, it were very simple qualifications, men of good reputation, filled with the Holy Spirit, men that, that were, were willing to obey and serve and, and just be a servant. And and so here's some of the elements that we've studied in previous studies, but are you saved? Are you flexible? Are you available? Are you teachable? Are you faithful? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Are you filled with wisdom? Do you have a good reputation? These are basic ingredients that we all can have to the life that's used greatly by him. A desire. Do you have a heart aflame with the desire to obey God? Because all the opposite of these things make you unusable. I mean, you may be sitting here today and you go, you know, I just don't want to be used by God. I I don't want to be used. I want to do my own thing. Well, it's going to be very, very hard for you to be used by God when you don't want to be used by God. So the first step for you is just to say, God, would you change my heart? And begin in prayer, would you change my heart 
Because right now, you know, I don't want to be used by you. I don't want to be serving. I don't want to be involved. And God began to change your heart and begin to minister to who you are in the inner woman, in the inner man. It was D.L. Moody, the great evangelist. He was convinced that total surrender to God was the key to successful ministry. And it was only reinforced in the early years of his ministry when he heard the British evangelist Henry Varley say this, and I quote, the world has yet to see what God will do with and for and through and in and by the man who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. And then Moody, when he heard that, he asked God to make him that man. And here we are studying and reading excerpts of Moody's life even to this day. Because God will make you the man and make you the woman that you request him to be. It's a beautiful thing. Elijah and Elisha are different guys, and yet God uses them greatly. And we spent some time looking at the fullness and the overflow of all these empty vessels in the widow's house last time. So let's pick up in verse 8 where we left off. Now it happened that one day that Elisha went to Shunem where there was a notable woman and she constrained him to eat some food. So it was as often as he passed by that he turned in there to eat some food. And she said to her husband, look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes us by regularly. Please, let us make a small upper room on the wall and let us put a bed in there for him and a table and a chair and a lampstand so it will be that whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. And it happened one day that he came there and he turned into the upper room and he lay down there. Verse 12. Then he said to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shunammite woman. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said to him, say now to her, look, you've been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. And so he said, well, what then is there to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, actually, she has no son and her husband is old. And he said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. And then he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your main servant. And the woman conceived and bore a son. And when the appointed time had come, of, Elisha, of which Elisha, Elisha has told her. So in Elisha's travels, he developed relationships. And one of the relationships was with this family. He visited and, and passed by so regularly that they decided to build him a room. He said, if he's going to come by so many times, let's invite him in. Let's make a space for him. We'll put a little bed in there. We'll put a table. And they decided to build a little guest room for him to bless him and encourage him. And on one of those visits, he felt this sense of appreciation and, and asked the woman and sent message, what can I do for you? I mean, you have done so much for me. What can I do for you? And by the way, by the way, that is the attitude of you and me as we begin to appreciate all that God has done for us. We serve from the abundance of grace in our lives so that when you just begin to meditate on how good God has been to you, how gracious he is, how wonderful, when you begin to meditate on how he's delivered you, how he's empowered you, how he's helped you, how he's come alongside of you, your response is so often, and my response is not, God, give me more. Our response becomes, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? It's not that I have to work hard to please you, God, and it's not like I have this obligation. It's not out of obligation. It's out of desire. It's, it's out of love. 
And here they are. He's so appreciative of what they've done for him that he turns around and says, what can I do, what can I do for you? And out of the discussion, it was really nothing except Gehazi said, oh, by the way, she doesn't have a son. That's really the issue on her heart. She doesn't have a son and her, her husband is old and it doesn't look like that's ever going to happen is really the conversation. And so the Lord spoke to Elisha and Elisha spoke to the woman and gave an interesting, glorious prophecy in verse 16. By this time next year, you're going to have a son. You're going to embrace a son. I mean, it, it, those, are, those are strong words that can be taken one of two ways. They can just be really encouraging and you can embrace them. Or as I know many of you have struggled and may perhaps even tonight struggling with infertility and wrestling with that in your own body, those can be hard words to receive. Uh, it can be very difficult to receive a, a good word in a hard time. Well, in verse 17, the word came to pass. The woman conceived and she bore a son which affirms that Elisha is a prophet of God. This is the, this is the proof uh, that a man or a woman is speaking on behalf of God is when what they prophesy comes to pass. And here's a proof that he is a true prophet and a true miracle. In verse 18, the child grew, and now it happened one day that he went out to his father to the reapers, and he said to his father, my head, my head. And so he said to his servant, carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and he died. Verse 21, she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. And then she called to her husband and said, please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I might run to the man of God and come back. And so he said, why are you going to him today? It's neither a new moon nor a Sabbath. And she said, it's well. And she saddled a donkey and said to her servant, drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. And so she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. Well, what a joy, verse 17 is. The prophecy of God comes to pass and she is granted the baby that was promised that she longed for her whole life. Only in a manner of time as the child grew up and began to work in the fields that she lost her child and he died. And as the son was given to the couple, he grows up and in this fatal injury, he's brought home, ends up dying in his own mom's arms. And what a tragedy, the one that was promised, the, the child of love was lost. And yet, we see in this woman tremendous faith. She's a woman of faith. I believe, as we eventually get to it in Hebrews chapter 11, she's one of those women mentioned in faith, nameless but a woman of faith nonetheless. And you can read it for yourself in Hebrews chapter 11. But she doesn't send to her husband to declare their son's death. Instead, she asks for transportation so she can find that man of God. Uh, this, is the, this is the illustration of us seeking the Lord in tough times. It certainly is easier said than done, and it's easier to see in someone else's life than it is in our own life but it's just as possible in your life as it was in this woman's life. She worships the same God. And yet by faith, we have, we have a true relationship with the Messiah that was promised and that we are now filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and we have God living inside of us, that we can seek God in tough times. And she heads out to find the man of God. Where does she find him? Well, it says she finds him in verse 25 up on Mount Carmel. How beautifully as we were praying does this come together with the word that God gave our sister Deneen this morning, which then she gave to us? That, that Elisha was found where? He was found up on the mountain. 
the mountaintop. The mountaintop in the Bible often reflects a place of devotion, a, fl- a place of commitment, a place of dedication. Sometimes uh, the mountaintop is the place of sacrifice and complete wholehearted sacri- sacrifice and, and setting themselves apart. You know, how can we not think of Abraham taking his own son up to the mountaintop in full obedience? Mountaintops speak of those times of getting away from everything down in the lowlands and to seek the Lord. And it's no small thing that Elisha is found at Mount Carmel, isolating himself away from the world and yet at that place of elevating himself into seeking God. What a sweet interaction now. Notice in verse 26, it says in verse 25 at the end, and so it was when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to his servant Gehazi, look, there's the Shunammite woman. Please run to meet her, verse 26, and say to her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your child? And she answered, it is well. Those are strong words. It is well. Words of trust and faith. Because in the physical, it's not well. But in the spiritual, it is well. Verse 27. Now when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, let her alone, for her soul is in deep distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. And she said, did I not ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? And then he said to Gehazi, get yourself ready and take my staff in your hand and be on your way. If you meet anyone, to, to do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer him. But lay my staff on the face of the child. What a sweet interaction between Elisha and the woman. How are things going? She grabs him by the feet. Things are good. She, she starts out well and then motion overcomes her. Grabs him by the feet. She's in anguish and yet declares it to be well. There's faith involved. That's the bridge here between her feelings and her faith. And Gehazi, you know, he's like the disciples. All those who were hungry came and what did the disciples say? Send him away. Send him away. And that wasn't the purpose by which Jesus came to send them away. He says, let them come to me. Even disciples, you know, what are they, they're, they're so hungry, send them away. When the kids were coming, you know, send the kids away. And they said, let the little children come to me, Jesus said. And that's what Elisha says, let her come to me, let her come. It's always the right response to deep distress. Invite people near, don't push them away. Remember back in 1 Samuel when Hannah was met with disdain by Eli the priest, not recognizing her distress, he accuses her of being drunk pushes her away. Lord, help us to be sensitive and open and ready to serve. Her spirit was strong, but her flesh begins to fail. And she trusts God, but there's the reality before her. It's it's the reality in our lives so often. It's normal. Great faith, faltering faith. Great trust, doubt. Great courage, fear. The flesh, the spirit, they war against one another, the Bible says. And we're, I don't know how often you pray this prayer, uh, but when you do, uh, you're praying just like the apostles did when they said in Luke 17, 5, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. Just don't have it right now. In verse 27, I found it was interesting. In verse 27, notice, when she, when, when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet, 
But Gehazi came to push her away. The man of God said, let her alone. Her soul's in deep distress. And then look at this phrase. The Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. There is this statement that whatever's going on in her life, God has hidden it from me. And it's almost as if Elisha is expressing this sense that normally God reveals things to him. And he might be a little surprised here or a little concerned. No, God has hidden it from me. Almost like he has this expectation, like in the past, that God would reveal it to him, just like previously God had revealed to him that she would have a baby in a year. I mean, a tremendous revelation. But why she's running with sorrow and sadness, he says, I don't know what's going on. And he refers to that as the Lord has hidden it from me. And he's a little surprised that he doesn't know what God is doing. And I began to think about that in my own life. In my own life, it's usually the opposite. For me personally, I'm surprised at times when God reveals things to me. I'm usually caught off guard. I'm usually caught off guard by things. And it's not that I'm not praying, although that's sometimes. So I go, Lord, if I remember one time praying, you know, that a situation was going on and it all went down and it didn't go down too well. And I was just lamenting to the Lord on the way into the office one morning, a year or so, maybe a couple years ago. And just like, Lord, why didn't you do this? And why didn't you show me this? And why didn't you reveal this to me? And why do I have to learn it this way? And why couldn't you just show? And it was almost like, you know, everything was silent and, and the car was silent and I was silent and I could sense the Lord saying, I did reveal it to you, and he gave me the point when he revealed it to me. He reminded me in my mind and my memory when he showed me exactly what was going on, and I responded in a way that was not reflective of what he was showing me. I, I, was, I was walking, and, and you know, we've been taught, and I believe this to be true, and this is how my heart is, and, and I desire it to be in my life, that if you're going to err, in ministry and serving people that you should err on the side of grace and to be gracious so that even if you're going to make a mistake you know make a mistake in honoring and loving people and be gracious and that's something that I've adopted in my life I want if I'm going to make a mistake I want to be, I don't want to be harsh I don't want to make a mistake harshly I don't want to make a mistake which I've done and it's very bad I don't that God has been very gracious to me and forgiving me for some of those mistakes in the past and so I, I, I want to err on the side of grace and yet there's something higher than erring on the side of grace and that's obeying God when he speaks and he just reminded me, and he was just very gentle. He's like, here you are lamenting, and it's you and me in the car, but Ed, I did show you. I did show you. And he even gave me the words and the vocabulary and everything of what was going on in the time. But Elisha, he was so tuned into the spiritual realm that, that when he doesn't know something, he's like, God's hidden it from me, as if God's always revealing stuff to him. And, and that's part of, that's, the, that's kind of the desire that I have. And it's similar to Elijah. Because God, God does want to speak to you. God does want to reveal things in your life. God does want to give you insight into the spiritual realm. God does want to lead you personally, specifically in the situation you're in right now. God does want to reveal to you things that are hidden and in the shadows. God does want to speak. Now, don't, don't misunderstand us because sometimes there's the criticisms that, that when you're open to the work of the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit is speaking as if God is still writing the Bible. God is not still writing the Bible. The Bible is done. It's known as something as the canon of Scripture. So that when we say that the Lord is speaking, He's not adding to the Bible. 
the Bible says of itself that we have been received the faith that's been once and for all delivered to the saints. So that you know when God is speaking, he won't contradict the scriptures. He, he won't say that the Holy Spirit giving you that gentle nudge or that gentle impression or, or causing a scripture to come into life in you or, or just like that conversation in the car as if the Lord was saying to me, Ed, I did show you. I did show you. And then remind me exactly when he did show me years prior. He's not adding to the Bible. He's speaking to his boy and he's comforting him and saying, you don't need to pray like this anymore, Ed. You don't need to pray. On this situation, you don't need to pray anymore. I'm going to tell you how it is, and then I'm going to enable you that if you look to me and walk in the Spirit, you won't make that mistake again. And, and yet, God does sometimes does hold information back from us. It's his will and his prerogative of what to reveal to us and what not to reveal to us. In those times of silence, in those times of waiting, you know, what, what is God doing? He's just building our dependence upon him, and we're going to wait on him. And we're going to trust him in the darkness. We're going to trust God in the light, but you're also going to trust God in the darkness. You're going to trust God up on the mountaintop when it's great and it's devotion and you're worshiping and your hands are lifted up as much as you're going to trust God in the valley. When your head is down and your tears are flowing and the pain is hurting, you're going to trust God. You and I are going to trust God every, every, everything in between. Elisha, part of what I believe gave him insight to the spiritual realm is was Elijah. Do you remember what it was said of Elijah? Do you guys, it wasn't too long ago that we learned this in 2 Kings chapter 6, where it says, excuse me, in 1 Kings chapter 6, it says, let us, O Lord, one of the officers replied, well, excuse me, this is describing Elisha in 2 Kings in a couple chapters. Let, let us, it's not us, my Lord, one of the officers replied, Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel, even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom is the kind of insight that God was giving Elisha. And so it's not that God doesn't want to speak, and it's not that he's unwilling to reveal, it's not that he's holding back on us, it may be that we're just not in tune spiritually. That most of our mind and most of our attention is filled with worldly things. Just you know, don't think of worldly as necessarily all kinds of sinful things, although it could. It's just, we're just not in tune to the spirit. We're more in tune to the culture than we are to the spirit. We're more in tune to our hobby than we are to the spirit. We're more in tune to something else than we are to the word of God and to hearing what God has already spoken. You know, some of you might even be in a wait mode where you, I want the Lord to speak, I want the Lord to speak, but you so neglect your Bible that he speaks every time you open the Bible. Don't wait for a word from heaven. Just open up your Bible and start reading it. God speaks. And most likely he has a word for you. If you open the Bible and you ask God to speak to you, he will speak to you. And he will not only speak to you, but he will take the scriptures and pinpoint them to the most relevant part of your life. He'll begin to reveal things in you that you didn't even know needed to be revealed. He'll begin to affirm things in you that you didn't even know needed to be affirmed. He'll begin to convict you of sin that you didn't even know you needed to be convicted of. He's ready to speak. Elisha knew what was going on in bedrooms, what was secrets and whispers is the idea. Things that they were trying to be hidden and in the darkness and in the shadows. God knows. How did Elisha know? Because God knows. And how does Elisha know what God knows? Because his ears were tuned to him. That's the reality. Just trusting him and pressing into him. In 1 Kings chapter 19, we have that insight where Elijah was discouraged. He ran to the caves. And remember what the Bible says? That there was an earthquake and a fire. 
There, there's a great wind and a, Elijah. None of those things were none of those things were the methods that God wanted to speak to him. How was it that God wanted to speak to Elijah? A still small voice. To quiet ourselves. Elijah had to sort out the dramatic, loud, and overwhelming winds and earthquakes and fires around him to tune into the gentle whisper, still small voice of the Lord to him in the caves, which is exactly what happens in trials and turmoil. We've got we to sort through all the trial, all the emotions, all the feelings, all the responses, all the things outside of our control. It's just all earthquakes and fire and all kinds of things around us, and the Lord is just calming us down to hear his still small voice. I mean, some of you are here today, some of you are tuned into this Bible study today, some of you are listening to me because you have a question that you want God to answer. You have a thought that you want God to confirm. You, you have a desire that you, you desire, it, you have a desire where you want God to give you direction on. You, you might even have a question that is super hard to answer, and you have come to hear a word from the Lord. Not just a Bible study where God is speaking in general sense from his text, because he has his text here and, and for us to be in it today just for a purpose and just for a time. But many of you, as you should, and we should come expecting to hear from the Lord. We should come expecting to have a word to speak into our family, to have a word to speak to our kids, to have a word for our grandkids, to have a word for our neighbors, to have a word for our future, to have a word for our past, so that God would just speak to us. So like, Lord, I'm not just, I just don't want theology. I I just don't want knowledge. I want you. I want you to speak. I want you to take whatever we're in, Second Kings, Hebrews, a topical Bible study, whatever guest brings in, whatever song is sung, speak to me, Lord. Because it gets lonely on the earth and it gets hard on the earth and, and, and it gets to the place where, you know, I want to throw in the towel. And then you, you begin to think, well, God isn't speaking anymore. God isn't speaking anymore. But, but can we get by Elisha one day? Will God do that in our lives where Elisha will come to us, where it'll happen with Elisha and we go, man, God revealed something in this sister before, but he's hidden for him and he's hidden it from me now. It's, it's almost as if when God's ready to reveal it, he'll reveal it. But he was a little surprised. Some of you have already received a word. Some of you are still waiting. But I'm here today to remind us, all of us and encourage all of us that the Holy Spirit still speaks and he still leads and he still guides. But I'm also here to remind you that the Holy Spirit can still be quenched and the Holy Spirit can still be grieved and the Holy Spirit can still be ignored and our consciences can still be seared as if with a hot iron and it's really dependent upon the choices that we make. Because God still wants to speak. He wants to take his timeless word and speak it right into the 21st century. He wants to take his timeless word as we tune our ears to the gentle whisper of God's loving word and direction for us. And for those of you that are unfamiliar perhaps with the gentle whisper of the Holy Spirit of God speaking, then just begin when you open up your Bible, just begin with the prayer. God, would you please speak to me? And just ask that prayer on a regular, would you please? I'm about to read here in Acts, like I was this morning in Acts 17. I'm about to ready to read Acts 17 this morning. God, would you speak to me? And there he was, reminding me of the Bereans and their desire to be noble and to check the things that Paul, they just had that part about them. 
I think about the Thessalonians who had, Thessalonians who had three weeks with Paul the Apostle, just receiving the word, receiving it gladly. And just knowing that there is still that blessing for those of us that receive gladly. There's still that blessing for those of us that receive God's teachers into our lives that we might learn and humble ourselves and submit to what God wants to do. If you open your Bible and you begin to ask God to speak to you, you will hear the voice of the Lord. And, and if you open the Bible and you read through a chapter and you say, I, don't, I didn't hear from God today, then I just suggest that you reread the chapter. And you read a second time, you go, I didn't hear from God. I just suggest you reread the chapter that you commit yourself to not get up from the chair until you hear from the Lord. And it doesn't have to be anything like earth shattering. It could just be one new lesson about the character of God. One new lesson about your life. One new lesson about a, a, a church. Uh, one new lesson about, you know, one of the things that keeps coming up over and over as I'm reading through the book of Acts this time through in the New Living Translation for my devos, one of the things, one of the words that keeps popping up over and over and over again as the ministry of Paul the Apostle, the, the word that they kept choosing, I haven't compared it yet with the New King James, but the word they keep choosing to, to describe the anger and frustration of people that kept going after Paul is the word Jealous. And it just keeps coming up in almost every chapter. Whenever there's persecution to Paul, it was because they were jealous of him. I'm like, wow, that's a tremendous insight. The, the ravaging, painful, destructive work of jealousy in a person's life. That it will lead you to destroy rather than to build up. There's a lot you can learn as you just see the same word over and over again. And the Holy Spirit says, don't be jealous, Ed. Don't be jealous. So it's not just jealousy for them. And so read your Bible and ask God to speak. And as you read your Bible and you begin to confirm, maybe even writing in the margins of your Bible, the date and the thing that God spoke to you. The date, like maybe you see a word and, and you could write in the margin, God made me see this word on this date. And just write it down. That was what? He just made a word jump off the page. And then you turn to the next one, and man, it seems like every three pages, it's the same word. And by the time three or four words come up, you, you sit down and go to maybe blueletterbible.org, and you start doing a word study. What does this word mean? I know what it means in the English, but if you're in the New Testament, what does it mean in the Greek? If you're in the Old Testament, what does it mean in the Hebrew? And begin to let the Holy Spirit, man, I'm, you present yourself to God. God's ready to speak if you're ready to listen. And isn't it true? He's always speaking. The word of God is always going forward. The Holy Spirit's in us, ministering to us and leading us. And I, I know that God wants to speak to you. I know he wants to encourage you. I know he wants to exhort you and comfort you. And I know he wants to confirm in you. I know he wants to change directions. And I know he wants to crush broken, hard hearts. And he wants to heal broken hearts. And he wants to do all sorts of things. If you will just turn your ear to him and... Perhaps one day you'll just be surprised that God didn't show you something. Instead of saying, oh, God never speaks to me, perhaps God's going to take you to the place, man, I can't, why isn't God speaking to me? What's going on? He usually reveals things to me. But not this one. Notice in verse 29, he says to Gehazi, get yourself ready, take my staff. He sends them. We already read that. 
And then the mother of the child, verse 30, said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. And so he arose and followed her. And Gehazi, verse 31, went on ahead of them and laid the staff on the face of the child. But there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore he went back to meet him and told him, The child hasn't awakened, verse 32. And Elijah came into the house. There was the child lying dead on his bed. And he went in, therefore, and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. And he went up and he laid on that child. And he put his mouth on his mouth and his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself out on the child and the flesh of the child became warm. And he returned and walked back and forth in the house and again went up and stretched himself out on him. And the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, call this Shunammite woman. And he called her. And when he came in, when she came into him, he said, pick up your son. And she went in, fell at his feet, bowed to the ground. And she picked up her son and went out. <laughs> what a miracle. <laughs> what a glorious miracle. Now, there's a couple of things in here. We don't have time to develop. But, you know, some people will come to this text and they'll say, well, look, uh, in verse 35, the child sneezed seven times. And they'll make some weird doctrine about sneezing seven times, you know. And so they'll be listening. And if someone sneezes six times, they'll wait for the seventh. And then, you know, they'll make some doctrine out of that. Uh, I, I don't see that. And, and I, I want one day, I think I'm going to develop a message on this. But this is what I saw. And, and again, we're not going to have time because we're just kind of overviewing. But I was really struck with verse 34. You know, the servant did what he was told to do. He took the staff, he laid it on the kid. That staff was, some, was a symbol of authority. Uh, it was even a symbol of power to the person that held it. But nothing happened. He obeyed, nothing happened. So that's, that's, that's an interesting insight. But then when Elisha comes, he does something different. He doesn't just take the staff. And he says, well, let me show you how to do it. Put the staff on. He approaches it completely different. For Gehazi, that was what, what he told him to do. The, the, the child didn't arise. But, but for him, in verse 34, he comes up and he goes and lays on the child. He puts his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands, and he stretches himself out on the child and the flesh of the child became warm. To me, verse 34 has so much to speak of true pastoral care, just care of people to people. There's the word portion of it, mouth to mouth. There's the eye portion of it, where Jesus spoke of eyes being the windows of the soul, showing us where, what's inside of us, and eye to eye. Even our own culture makes great value on eye contact, doesn't it? And, and then from, from mouth to mouth, from eye to eye, and then his hands, that's serving, hands on hands, serving one another, and getting involved in people's lives. And he says, and he stretched himself out. It's, it's almost, it's like, it's like all his, all his decorum, everything about being a prophet of God that speaks for God is just thrown out, of the, out the window and he's just desperately stretches himself out and completely commits himself to trusting in God for this miracle. Mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands, stretching him out and then the Lord worked. And again, I haven't developed it. Maybe one day I will. It just stuck out to me of the beauty of what that can become if you really truly seek to get involved in someone's life. It's going to take mouth to mouth and eye to eye, hands to hands. And it's going to take in one person's, on one person's part that, that desire to stretch out and completely commit yourself upon a person that's suffering. 
And in this case, in a very real way, it was dead. And the Lord showed up. And God gets the glory. And it says in verse 37, she picked up her son and went out. Just beautiful. Father, as we think through on this text and allow your spirit to minister to us and just give us <clears throat> some of the insight, you know, some, some of the things you have for us. Like, like we, we talked about you speaking to us, and, and that's just what we want, God. We want you to speak to us. We, we want to hear from you. We want to hear from you in the word, like, like where you've given us, given us the logos, Lord. You've given us the written word. You've given us the word that comes because you're the logos, Jesus. But we also want that rhema word. We want that word in due season. We want that word that, the, that in the Old Testament it describes. It, it's just a beautiful setting. You know, apples of gold, I think, or something in silver, Lord. Just a word in due season. It's like a cold drink on a hot day. We want that rhema word. Uh, we want it from you, Lord, but we also want to be a vessel that we could share it with one another. We don't want to just settle for small talk and chit-chat. We, we don't want to just settle for talking about the things that are going to pass away and not eternal. As well, as good as that is to build a bridge, God, may we be men and women that are speaking forth the word that you give us for each other. And may we be receiving it and not so resistant to the word that you have for us. And that we would, well, you know, in serving each other mouth to mouth and eye to eye and hand to hand, and just stretching ourselves out on the cares and concerns and difficulties in someone's life, Lord. Maybe that's just praying. Maybe that, that's just praying, stretching out to intercede on behalf of a struggling family or a wayward kid. I pray for my friend, my pastor friend today, Lord, that just he and his wife wrestling over their child, just wrestling over the, the enemy just wants to rip off their child. And I'm so grateful, Lord, that they were able to get her help. I'm so grateful, Lord, that you were able to intervene in her life, Lord, but it's a battle. And I know that story is repeated time and again, Lord. We just declare in prayer and affirm to you, Lord, that the devil doesn't own our kids. He doesn't own our marriage. He, he doesn't own anything. He's just a squatter. And we just pray for the strength of your Holy Spirit to enable us to resist the devil that he might flee from us. That you would lead us not in temptation, Lord, but deliver us from evil that you would enable us to obey you and serve you and love you, not out of obligation, but out of love. And that you would speak to us, Lord. Have your way among us. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.